It's not me. Oh, yeah, it is me. <laughs> it's always easier to blame the guy up there. And I won't tell everybody it's Lee Innocente up there today. Don't. It's not him, okay? Um, work day. Thank you guys for coming out and working yesterday. I, w I love coming to work day because I love getting something done. And I have so many good conversations, fellowship, just a wonderful time. But thank you guys for coming out, all your work you did last week. I also want to thank you for giving me last week off. I was able to go up to Indiana. Jackie and I, we flew up there to see my mom. My mom's 86, living in a home and doing real well. But it was a good time to see family. Well, we are in the middle of a series called The Upside Down Kingdom. And um, we're looking at how the church community is different than the communities we live in. You know, um, one of the things that in the church, they talk, they have, there's this phrase that, that, that goes around the church, and I don't know if you've ever heard before, it's, it's we always count nickels and noses. You ever heard that? A lot of times church measure how well they're doing by the nickels. How good is giving? If giving's up, the church is doing well. If giving's down, the church is doing bad. And we count noses, how many people are in the seats. But, you know, we'll see today about how God builds his church, and he doesn't really count nickels and noses. And it's odd that we even get messed up in the church as to what God wants. We use a different metric a lot of times. But today we're going to uh, continue. We're doing a study through 1 Corinthians. So if you've got a Bible, your, your phone, wherever you're looking on in God's Word, turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Paul is continuing to deal with the issue of factions and divisions in the church that we started way back in chapter 1. And he's dealing with how the elders, uh, how the rulers of the church build up the church. Uh, last week, Nate did a great job preaching. He was describing, uh, or Paul was describing the Christian community using an agricultural metaphor. Remember, he said, uh, Paul planted. He planted the seed. Apollos came along and watered, but only God gives the growth. Well, now he switches in verse 10 from an agricultural metaphor to a construction metaphor. Now, you got to remember, Corinth was a growing city. These were city folks, okay? They weren't country folks. So maybe the farming example just didn't, you know, resonate with them nearly as well. But he's using this, this building imagery to city dwellers, now, these people were, were probably your average folks. These people were carpenters. They were masons. They were engravers. So he's speaking to them using words and pictures that they could easily resonate with, they could easily understand. Um, I went online to, uh, this week and Googled uh, architecture. But take a look at some of these pictures. Architecture defines things. These are some of the more outlandish ones, by the way. You're not going to find this in Crowfield, okay? But that's a building. It says something. It's making a statement. Give me the next one. Even that, the beauty in it, right? But even there, it has some structure. It, ha it has some organization to it. Next. I think the key there is you just got to find a big rock to put your house on. That's All right, keep going. This one, I just, I think this is somewhere in China. I just kind of blew me away. And then I think I have one more. Do I have one more? Nope, that's it? Okay. But when you build a building, you, you, you set some boundaries, right? I mean, you have additions, but we've all seen those houses that have additions, and they just don't normally look right. But when you build a building, you're setting a foundation. You're building it in a way. You want to build it strong. You want to make it last. 
Here in 1 Corinthians, that's what God is doing. God is building a building. He's building his church. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. This is, this is our way. And you may be here today and you think, why do we stand to read God's word? We have so many voices speaking to us all week long. And we need to be reminded that God's word is unique. When God speaks, it's special. That's why we stand. So if you can stand, please stand. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 10 through the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. According to the grace of God given me, this is Paul speaking, according to the grace of God given me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that everyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is built up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Let's pray. Father, I am just a man, and when I think of it, often not, not much of a man, but I come today, and you have given me what you want your people to hear, what you want me to hear even. Remind us, Father, of your word. Speak to us in ways that your spirit can, that a man's words never can sink into someone's heart, but Father, your spirit can take those words and can change us. I'm so grateful for the work of your Holy Spirit. We ask you now to come and have free reign over this place and over us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul encourages the Corinthians to avoid conflict and division in their Christian community using the construction metaphor of building, demolition, and restoration. So we're going to look at these, okay? First of all, we're going to look, uh, by God's grace, how we build our community. We're in the process of building our community here, and we're doing it by God's grace. He says so here. uh, First of all, we we want to look at the need for sound uh, construction. When you build something, you want to use good materials. You want to build soundly. It says here in verse 10, it says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. 
That phrase there, according to the grace of God, the word grace here is the word charis. It's where we get the word charismatic. And in, in the original language, charis can be translated grace or gift. And either one works here. You could actually say, according to the gift of God that was given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid. So Paul's talking. He said, God has, by his grace, given me certain gifts, and I'm using those gifts to build his church. And he's building like a skilled master builder. The word here uh, is actually a, like a wise architect, and it has the idea of combining architecture, which is the beauty, the aesthetics of it, with an engineer. It's got to be built sound, right? When you uh, and a building goes up, you have an architect, but also an engineer who double checks on everything. Is this, this wall going to hold up? Is it according to code, right? So Paul says, we're not just building for beauty, we're building for soundness here too. Now Paul initially laid a foundation, but others have come and they're building the Corinthian community. And every church is a community building project. We're using Paul now. Paul is helping us build Metro North Church. But each one of you are building in this church. Do you realize that? We may not consider ourselves master architects, but each of us, God has given each of us graces or gifts that we use to build and edify one another patiently and lovingly. And it's interesting for me to sit back and watch how we're all just so uniquely gifted. Even on, on the work day, watching how some people are more organized, some people, they're just, they're just hard workers. They're going to get in there and sweat. Well, just like it here, I look at some of you, and some of you are like, oh, I could never stand in front of people and talk. Others, you're like, oh, I, I love standing in front of people and talking. I'm not very organized, but I'll do whatever you ask me to say. Well, I'm organized, and I'll help you. We have that give and take, but we all work together lovingly, patiently. It's kind of like this. Everybody see, know what this is? This is a Jenga. Now, I have to give a disclaimer. If this illustration just connects with you, then it's mine. It's my idea, my original idea. If you get lost anywhere here, Todd Billman gave this to me, okay? <laughs> so just be aware of that. But here's the thing. God is building. Now, the, the thing about Jenga is... The whole, the whole point of the game is to pull things out until it collapses, okay? Well, that's not what we're doing. As we pull things out, we pull these out, and we're building. We're constantly putting in new bricks. And here's the thing. The bricks aren't bricks. The bricks are people. And just like this, this, this Jenga here, this is the church. People are constantly joining our church. They're constantly leaving our church. So bricks are constantly coming in. They're coming out. Here's the thing we have to do. We have to always be willing to look for the next brick. Who's the next person coming in? We've got some visitors in here today, and we need to be saying, hey, I wonder where they're going to fit here. Or you may be saying, you know, I don't fit well here, John. Can you put me somewhere else in the building? That's okay, too. We have the option to move around. But all of this is predicated on a solid foundation. We all build, and we all have to be building wisely as bricks come in and out. But we also have to build on the right foundation. That's the second thing here. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which has already been laid, which is laid, that is Jesus Christ. 
You see, the foundation sets the building. It stabilizes the building. It unifies the building. Did you ever think about that? The foundation, Jesus Christ, unifies the building. He is the sure foundation who can guarantee and secure our own desire for unity, for stability, and even for identity. People want to belong. They want unity. They want stability. Nobody wants to build a house where you're like, yeah, you know, that, that, that bedroom over there is a little shaky. Got some cracks in the wall. We want stability. We don't, want, we, we don't wake up wanting discord. We don't wake up wanting disunity. We don't wake up looking for the storms of life to shake us to the core. We want a sure foundation, and Jesus Christ is that foundation. He can give us stability. He can give us unity. Nothing else can. Think about it. Money, fame, notoriety. We know those things don't provide a foundation because you never have enough money, right? Only Jesus Christ as our foundation can we meet our desire for unity, for stability, and even identity. And this is the third thing. As we build our community, we need to build with sound construction. We need to build with the right foundation. But we also need to construct the right identity. We all desire to know and be known by others. That's true of every one of us. We want to know and be known by others. Paul claims that being God's building gives us our identity. He uses the word temple here to describe the Corinthians. Think about that. The temple was the very place on earth where God's spirit dwelled. When they built the temple in Jerusalem, God's spirit came down. Just like when they had the tabernacle in the wilderness, God's spirit came and dwelled. So he says here, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, a lot of times we take this verse out of context. We say, I'm I'm the, the temple of God. The spirit dwells here in me. That's not what he's talking about here. That's true that the Holy Spirit dwells in me and I am a temple of God. But what he's talking about here is, uh, and this is how we know Paul's a southerner. It'd be better to, to rephrase this this way. He says, don't you all know that you all are God's temple and that God's temple, God's spirit dwells in y'all. So he's talking about the church. So think about this. When we come together, even right now, God's spirit is dwelling here. It's because of us. The church is God's temple. The church is the very container that God chooses to welt on earth. Each of us is a brick, a shingle, a door, a window, but we all make up the temple of God, the church. When you think about it like that, what other motivation do we need to live in harmony with one another? Right? We ought to be constantly bowing to each other's preferences. Why? Because this is God's temple. We're all part of the same building. The problem is that we, like the Corinthians, we use the work of building the church as a reason for division and for discord. We are the ones usually causing the destruction and the demolition. You see, we have our identity and our relationship to others as Christ-grounded community builders where God's Spirit dwells. 
The reality is, though, we're daily influenced by sin. And we often let that sin get the better of us. And that's our second point here. By our selfishness, by our sinfulness, we often demolish our community. We do that in three ways. We disregard the foundation. Sometimes we use poor materials. And then finally, we just destroy the church. So let's look first of all, how, how do we disregard the foundation? He said, no one can lay a foundation other than that which was laid, Jesus Christ. So the point is, just by the fact that he has to point this out, people are trying to lay other foundations. One way a community is demolished is through disregarding the foundation. Paul is speaking directly to a group of people called the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were a group of people that were Jews who became Christian. But they were so steeped in their Jewish culture, they wanted to add the things that the Jews did to Christianity. So they were like, oh, we'll believe in Jesus, but, but, but you've got to get circumcised too. You've got to continue to go and do the sacrifices at the temple. But yeah, we believe in Jesus. And Paul's going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're adding to the gospel. The gospel is simply faith in Jesus Christ. You can't add things in addition to that. So they were laying another foundation. They were following the law, the Mosaic law, to gain their righteousness. Their righteousness wasn't based on what Christ did for them. But don't we do the same today? Think about it. How do we add to the gospel today? Sometimes we seek a foundation that's political. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to vote for or how could you vote for that person if you're a Christian? It's the same thing. What are we doing? We're saying, in order to be a Christian, you would only be in this lane. Sometimes we do it with our emotions. I've heard people say, God just wants me to be happy. You'll never find that in the Bible. We add something else to the gospel. In other words, I believe in Jesus if I'm happy. If I'm happy and good, then I've added that to the gospel. No, I follow Christ and Christ crucified. And then I just trust that God's going to lead where he wants to lead. We can appear to be building God's church, but if our work goes against the gospel or adds to it or takes away from it, then we're actually being destructive. So we can disregard the foundation. Sometimes we use poor materials. He says in verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, notice these are all in kind of descending order, each one's work will become manifest or made known. For the day, and day is capitalized there because it's the judgment day, is going to disclose it because it's going to be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives the fire, he will receive a reward. What's the point? Well, wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn up. But the other things will not just last through the fire, but be purified through the fire. He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. So we're not talking about salvation here. Paul's talking to Christians here, and he's not talking about losing one's salvation. He's discussing perishable or imperishable building materials, all right? This is a con Paul's a construction foreman. He's talking materials here. Building a community 
with imperishable materials is living life according to the gospel as you are led by the Spirit. And notice this. Both the person and work of Jesus Christ are both the foundation and the building materials for a healthy Christian and a healthy Christian community. But these building materials, they're going to be tested with fire. So you have to ask yourself, how are you building? Are you building one another up? Are you encouraging one another in the faith using guilt, using manipulation? I've done that before. I just want them to do what I want them to do. I know you guys are not like me, but I'm like that sometimes. Just want them to obey. Do this. I used to be that way sometimes with the students. And then I find that those things don't last. Or are you helping others focus on Christ? Is your motivation, does it come from love for him and for serving him? But we can build using poor materials. We can disregard the foundation, but we can also out and out just destroy the church. And look what he says in verse 17. He says, if anyone destroy, destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Um, when you read Greek, it's kind of like um, the Star Wars character's Yoda. It speaks... That's the way kind of Greek reads. So this, this section of Scripture right here, and I like the way it does it because I think it puts the point home. This is how it says it in the Greek. It says, if anyone the temple of God destroys, destroys this person, God will. Let me say that again because it, this, it hits at home, doesn't it? If anyone the temple of God destroys, destroys this person, God will. You get the point there, Right? The third way we demolish the building of God is we demolish the church. And we can do it so many ways, and you guys have seen most of them. But Paul is trying to say that if an individual turns on the community, they're actually turning on themselves. You can't sit there and go, you know, I, I'm a brick in this wall of the church, but I don't like this brick next to me. I wish that brick would leave. Or I don't like that door over there. The door just squeaking all the time drives me crazy. And we do that a lot. The challenge for us is God continually continues to add new bricks to our building, new people we have to adjust to, new people in our community. And we must continually welcome them and adjust ourselves to them. I mean, you take a look around here. And I'm guilty as, as anybody. Fourth row, first seat. By default, I've adopted that as my seat. I've been in this church for 23 years, and I can count on my hand, I can count on my finger one Sunday that I did not sit in that seat. And it's because Jenny Aban sat in that seat. <laughs> and I chastised her for her. I said, you are sitting, what are you doing? I said, if I have to sit in a row back, it's going to throw the whole room off for me, you know. But here's the thing. There are some wonderful people over here. All you guys, and I'm not just speaking to you, but there's some wonderful people over here. Every once in a while, come sit over here. There's some beautiful people over here. And you guys, guess what? Because you guys are the same way. There's wonderful people over here. So we have to constantly adjust, not to adjust each other, but to all the new people that God brings in. We always need to be welcoming, and we need to sometimes 
you know, lovingly, politely help that adjustment take place. For us to deviate from the foundation of Jesus or from the blueprint, which is Scripture, it's going to create a crack or a faction that eventually will bring destruction. We must see ourselves as co-builders, not co-foremen. Let me say that again. We are co-builders, not co-foremen. There's one foreman, the head. Who's the head of the church? Not this guy. It's Jesus Christ, okay? He's the head. He's the foreman. He's building. We're the laborers in the building. We all have a tendency to ignore the foundation. We all, from time to time, will build with subpar materials, or we turn on the community. We turn on ourselves. So what hope do we have? How can the unity, the integrity, the beauty of God's temple, of his people, continually be growing, be restored? Well, we have to remember that it's our job also to restore the community. And Paul doesn't tell them to restore the community, to build the church, you have to do these things. Rather, he answers two questions. And the two questions he doesn't ask the questions. He just, by, by default, refers to these questions. And he reminds them of what they already have and whose they already are. And that's what it is for us. We need to remember, what do we already have? And whose are we? So look what he says here in verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Here it goes. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You see, the Corinthians are looking for a foundation that would provide them an identity. I belong to Paul. Paul's my guy. I belong to Cephas. And I love it how Paul, writing here, he says, look, and he lists himself first. All of these things are yours, whether me, you know, but I'm not the most important one. We're all in this together. He makes it clear that these men, himself included, were not meant to be their foundation. We're not your foundation. They already have an identity forming foundation, Jesus Christ. He is the faithful and unshakable foundation. Instead of saying, I belong to Paul, they ought to be saying, God is so good to us. Paul belongs to us. He is a servant leader and a gift to us all. I'm so grateful that God has allowed Paul to be here for us. You see, the Corinthians don't need to divide over leaders because each of their current and future leaders and teachers are gifts from God. Secondly, they, like us, already have all things given to us through Christ. Look at the next five things he mentions here. It's, a, it's an odd list, isn't, he? isn't it? It says, uh, Paul, Apollo, Cephas, but then he says, the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. What's the significance about these five things? Well, if you think about it, these five things are what we would call the tyrannies of life. The tyrannies of life, all right? Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's go through them. 
the world. The world is constantly trying to dictate to you how you should live, right? You need to have the very best phone. And they just came out with a new $1,000 phone. If you don't have it, you don't measure up. I can't believe you would not drive that car. We can give you that car with 60 payments with only 4% interest. You can handle that. I mean, the world's constantly trying to dictate to you how you should live. What about life? You know, I'm at the age now, and uh, when my wife says, what do you want for lunch? And I'm a guy. And, I, and this, let me, ladies, let me help you out here. I don't care. We don't care. Is it hot? Does it taste good? We'll eat that. Did we eat that yesterday? Okay, that's okay. I don't care. I'll eat that. And sometimes life, you just have, I have to make another decision. I got done with lunch, but guess what? Dinner's in five hours. We got to decide again. And sometimes we're so much, so tired of that. I've got to get a new tag on the car. I've got to get this mailed. How about we got more wash? We just did the wash last week. What do you mean we have to do it again? Life sometimes, it's a tyranny. It never stops. Until what? What's the next one? Death. Well, that's a tyranny too, because we think it's coming. You don't think about it much when you're young. As you get older, you're like, yeah, okay. I'm the, that guy, I've thought, okay, if you think about it like a hill, I'm on this side of the hill. How long down to the bottom of the hill? I don't know. Death's coming. It doesn't stop, right? It's a tyranny. The present I got so much I got to do on my list. John, hurry up and finish this. I got to get to lunch. Then I got stuff I got to do. Or the future, the tyranny of the future. Are they going to get in that school? Is she going to say yes and go to the prom with me? Am I going to get the promotion? You know, will the house go through? Will we, you know, we constantly deal with these tyrannies. And what is Paul saying? He says, look, who holds all of these? God holds all of this in his hands, so we're good. Why? Why? Because God's got it all covered. All are yours. All are covered because we have Jesus Christ. Don't let these things get you all worked up and out of shape. Why? you got Jesus Christ. We need to grow and to be able to say like Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You know, that, sound, that sounds morbid, doesn't it? It's like that pastor that said, hey, how many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. And he had like two people raise their hand. He goes, don't you guys want to go to heaven? He asked a guy in the back row, don't you want to go to heaven? He goes, well, I just thought you were getting a load up right now. <laughs> well, you know what? Do we look forward to that? Because that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, it would be better to go now. Why? We have Christ now, but to go... Another place in Scripture, he says, it's better by far. Christ's Spirit indwells us, the church. He's in the midst of the community. He ensures that the building is being held together. It's filling it with life and beauty. And he says, don't you know what you got? And then finally he says, at the very end of this section, don't you know whose you are? He ends it with this simple verse, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So you're God's. The certainty and safety of our uh, reconstruction lies in the fact 
We are Christ, and Christ is God. It's interesting. It's subtle here. We can move right past this. But I want you to think this through. Sometimes we think it's, it's so important that we as Christians that we have Christ. Right? I th- it's so wonderful that I'm a Christian, that I have Jesus. That's not nearly as important as the fact that Jesus has you. I am so thankful that Jesus has me. Because I'm going to mess up. I'm going to bungle it. The inspector is going to come in and we're going to have to tear out this drywall, John, because you just did a really poor job here. That's okay. Jesus has me. When we are weak, distracted, disobedient, we need to remember he does not fail. He remains faithful. We belong to him. We are his treasure, his possession. And God indwells his temple, the church. In John chapter 2, some leaders come to Jesus, and Jesus says, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'm going to raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But then the, the writer, John, says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Ironically, the very destruction of the temple, his body, you with me? The very destruction of the temple, his body, is what the church is built on. That's the foundation. Jesus Christ became the foundation for the new temple, his church. So God is so committed to this construction project that he gave up his own life to lay the very foundation. Let me go back to where I started. Notice in this whole section, there was no discussion of numbers, right? No discussion of the amount of people, nickels and noses, none of that. Everything is quality, not quantity. The point is this. God is concerned with building the fruit of the Spirit into our individual lives and into our community. Are we more loving now than we were last week? Are we more giving? Are we more willing to serve? Do we care more? That's what God's looking for. And I believe if we strive to build those godly qualities into the people, into one another, that God will use us. and He'll increase the quantity of people in which we minister to. So what are some takeaways? Let me give you three quick ones. We are building God's church, and we all participate in some way. Every one of you. I, I, one thing I love about our church is we let our students serve. and We let them serve early. That's a wonderful thing. Now, here's the bad side of that. And I'm going to step on some toes. So let me stand here for a little bit. We have got a philosophy in our church that, that basically the older people, and I mean anybody older than 21, tends to say, well, let's get the teens to do it. It's time some of us who are older than 21 stepped up and served. Simple ways, you know, greet, hand out bulletins, serve in the nursery, be there at work day. Simple ways that you can serve. It's things you can do. So we all participate in some way. So how might you use your gifts and abilities to contribute to the building? Secondly, We should have harmonious, edifying interactions as we work to build God's church. 
Harmonious does not mean the same. An orchestra is harmonious. But this guy's doing tuba, this guy's doing the triangle, you know. Ding! That'd be me over there. Hit it one time. Harmonious does not mean the same. It means different, but in unison, okay? So we should have harmonious, edifying interactions as we work to build God's church. And then finally, I've said it often, Jesus is the foundation and the foreman of God's building project. So you have to ask yourself, are you submitted to him? It's easy for us to step and go, now here's what needs to happen in the church. Here's what we need. Let me give you my opinion. And that's okay to have that opinion, but have you gone and said, Jesus, what is your opinion in regard to this? This is what I think. You tell me or you correct me if I'm right. Oh, I'm a little bit off. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to submit to you there. And we should be bowing our knee and submitting to Jesus in all things. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you, we want to thank you that, that it is not about us. That it's not about us and, and how we build. It's more important that we're submitted to you. I know you want us to build and build well and use the right materials and build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But in reality, we often, we often get lost, quite frankly. Sometimes it's not a matter of getting lost. It's a matter of just willfully disobeying and going our own way. Father, help us. Remind us, even this week, when we start to stray, when we start to manipulate or force our will on someone else, give us a humility. Give us a patience. Give us love for that person. And most of all, as you put your fingers on things in our life, may we be submitted to you and to follow your guiding, your guidance in our life. Father, we thank you. We now ask you to prepare our hearts as we come to your table. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We are here today to participate in the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we go through this, and it can become kind of rote, kind of, this is what we do. I don't really understand why we're doing it. So it's important from time to time that I just stop and pause and explain. We do it to obviously remember Christ's death. And that's, that's the big umbrella of why we do this. But there's so much that happens in this meal. Let me just give you some of the things that ought to be going on in your mind. When you come and you pause and you think about what Christ did on the cross for you, this meal should strengthen you against sin. God puts his finger on things in our life that need to change, and we need to say, yes, that's right. I need to, I need to quit talking that way. I need to change that attitude. And it's good to have this gut check, if you will. It comforts us in our troubles and affliction. Some of you in here, you're going through hard, hard times. And I want you to know, it's okay. God's got this covered. And he's reminding you of his loving and his forgiveness even through this. And he's walking with you even now through those hard times. It increases our faith and our resolution to obey. 
hopefully as you, as you take this meal, you're like, you know what? I'm willing to submit my heart, my, my soul, my, my mind to God, and I am going to do what he asks of me. Most of all, it reminds us in my mind of, our, of God's faithfulness to us and our comfortable hope that we have in eternal life. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. On the night I was betrayed, I took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take a minute now and go before the Lord silently in prayer and uh, ask the Lord to bring to mind those things that you need to confess to him. Just prepare our hearts for this time. Let's pray.